Hi all, I'm Freddie Hunt. You're listening to the Everything F1 podcast, driven by fans for the fans. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today, we talk about the Soggy Sochi Grand Prix. We also have a chat with Freddie Hunt. You will not want to miss this one, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller, alongside me today from the Everything F1 team. We've got Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Also alongside me today, we've got Sean. How are you doing, Sean? I am very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, not too bad at all. And last but not least from the Everything F1 team, we do have our Welsh boy, Tom. How are you, Tom? Very well, thanks. Very well. I would ask how you are, but you've already said... I've already answered, but it's fine. That's that's how it goes. Today, we're going to talk about the Sochi Grand Prix. And after we talk about the Sochi Grand Prix, I've got a great interview with James Hunt's son, Freddie Hunt. And you will want to listen to that one. As I say, we are Everything F1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. We have also got a Discord server and our shiny website at www.everythingf1.com. You can find us on all the socials on the handle at joinef one It'll be great to have you on all of our social platforms uh, and see you and interact with you there. Okay, so without further ado, we should talk about the Sochi Grand Prix. Now, first and foremost... Let's just have a three-line review from each of you, um, just about how excited you were or how gutted you were about how your personal favourite F1 driver did or not. So we'll go over to Coops first. Give us a three-line review from your Sochi weekend experience. Spectacular Sochi, Hamilton masterclass, Lando Norris heartbreak. Oh, that, that, that does make me... That doesn't upset me, actually. It's heartbreaking to think of Lando going through what he did go through. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, we'll go over to Sean. What's your three-line review of the Sochi weekend? Hamilton 100, heartbreak for Lando, and damage limitation for Max. Oh, very good. Yeah, absolutely. That's, again, a great subject to talk about. uh, And it does make the championship exciting. Um, Tom, how about you? What's your three-line review for the weekend? So nearly Lando, Hamilton 100 dubs, and signs back on the podium. Yes, the the lesser spotted signs, uh, and he didn't get that much of a mention on any of the coverage, which was a shame because he, he never, did, you know, he, he, he did never come third. Yeah, he, he never does. <laughs> All through his McLaren yes. years, he wasn't on TV once, was he? Yeah. Uh, it's such a shame. They forget about him. Poor poor Carlos. Well, we won't forget about you, Carlos. We will absolutely talk about your great third place finish uh, for the Sochi Grand Prix. So without further ado, let's talk about that 100 wins for Lewis Hamilton. Uh, It's a feat that no other driver has yet yet done. Is it a a feat that we'll see again in our lifetime? Maybe, maybe not. Coops is nodding his head. What do you think, Coops? Well, when they do 23 races a season, then it's hard to say that it won't happen. Uh, you know, true, I mean, very true. the first ten years, I think you were lucky if you had nine races in a year. And mm-hmm. Then it went up to around sixteen, I think, fifteen, sixteen when I started watching it, and now we're hitting twenty-three. And you know, you start in March and finish in December. You know, so. But what we're hope we're hoping that it won't be, uh, there won't be a, as a, a dominating team as Mercedes. So maybe we won't see a um, hundred wins because hopefully there'll be more people, more different drivers on but that podium the top thing set. Is, Norris Verstappen's still only 23 Norris is in his early 20s Russell's early 20s, Leclerc's early 20s. They're all really young and they're all capable of winning so yeah it's probably going to take a lot longer but it, I think it will happen again Don't ask me who okay. but I think it will happen again. It certainly could be any one of those names but I've got a picture of him holding that trophy that'll be his 100th first place trophy for Lewis Hamilton uh, and what a great what a great win it was well he was lucky uh, I will uh, as as a British fan and as a Lewis Hamilton 
fan or a fan of British drivers. Um, I do agree that he was very lucky in that the rain came for him because um, he was never going to get past Lando Norris um, if that didn't happen because uh, Lando did kind of dominate the weekend. Um, but, we, you know, you, you, he's got to put himself in that second place, give himself that opportunity. And we can't knock that at all um, because he did, he was there. Um, what can you say about that, Tom? There was an element of luck with Hamilton, but as I'm sure we'll get on to, um, for, for a driver of Hamilton's experience and Hamilton's calibre after running second and having been in that kind of position for so long, plus the constant communication he was in with his team, it was it was Lando's race to lose, which is obviously ultimately what happens. And Hamilton has mm. so much experience about sort of like sitting behind and taking these positions. With regards to will we see a hundred race wins get broken again? I legitimately don't know if we will. I know we have more races a season, like Coops mentioned, and it is a very good point because even sort of since like 2016 we've gone up to like 20, 21, 22 races a season now whereas Mm -hmm. even a few years ago we were only at 16, 17 Um, but I can't remember I can't remember the last time that there was a team as dominant as Mercedes I mean statistically speaking they are um, they are sort of like the most dominant team we've ever seen you know, seven back-to-back constructors' titles. Obviously, all the you know, their drivers have won every have won every title. Um, and with this new sort of group of drivers coming through, who are all very young, you know, the, the likes of like Lando, Gasly, all the rest of it, um, Leclerc, mm-hmm. Sainz, Norris, Russell. You, you, we we all know the list. I don't know if there will be one driver who is so almost untouched like Lewis has perhaps been for the last few years. Plus, with the 2022 regs, we might see a bit more of a sort of level playing field. Yes, but let's hope so, because that's the whole point uh, of bringing these regulations in, so we can see multiple different drivers uh, on that top step. Um, Sean, let's go to you. Uh, I know you're not the biggest Lewis Hamilton fan, but from from somebody who isn't, uh, there's probably a, a, a good opinion to hear, isn't he? Um. No, I'm not the biggest Lewis Hamilton fan, and you know I'm not the biggest Max Verstappen fan either. I am a Lando Norris and McLaren fan, um, and obviously I was in tears two weeks ago for Italy, and in tears again on Sunday for completely different reasons, unfortunately. Um, so I'm yeah, actually I can't really say anything kind of to begrudge Lewis that one. Um, you 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 said something there that you know. He puts himself in these positions. I think it was Karun Chandok who said it pretty perfectly back in Silverstone or something like that. It's like, yes, Lewis gets lucky from t- a lot, but he's always in the position to get lucky. The fact is, he had a rubbish start and fought himself back up to second place to be in the position to get lucky. As you said, he was never going to pass Lando. AWS and their stupid graphic said that it would take six laps and be a, like a, a two out of 20 difficulty overtake. 25 laps later, he still wasn't within within two seconds of him. Those graphics need to go. Mm. I think we'd probably do a whole bloody podcast on them. I don't really know what more to say. Um, he put himself in the position to get lucky. Um, he made the right call at the right time. I think one thing I will give him total credit for is just his experience. I think that was the, the, the key difference, I think, between himself and Lando is um, Lewis just had more experience Lando was maybe a bit naive to say no I want to stay out equally mm-hmm. you know if McLaren knew Danny was coming in and Danny wanted to pitch they probably should have forced Lando in um, mm-hmm. at least have got second place I think there was a bit of naivety from both Lando and a bit of to be honest stupidity from McLaren I kind of think they I mean, they did they threw the race away I don't think Lewis necessarily stole it from them I think they threw it away yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I think there's equal blame on Lando and the team for that but um, you know, uh, to top top marks Lewis. Uh, just on the point of will it happen again? Yes, of course it will. Um, as Michael Schumacher said, records are there to be broken. Nobody ever thought anyone was going to make uh, seven championships, except on the, if you've seen the Schumacher documentary, the man himself said that yes, it could probably be Lewis or someone like Lewis or Sebastian to break seven, and that's exactly what happened. So someone will break a hundred. Um, we'll break 100 races at some point in the future like I said I hope it's not anytime soon because I don't want to see it go from Lewis to Max winning the next 7 years straight it's just going to be so, so bad for the sport but uh, 
all told, even as a heartbroken McLaren fan, that was a spectacular race. And I kind of said it in my in my race preview that you know anything could happen if uh, in a year where France and Paul Ricard was arguably the race of the season, surely Russia is going to fight for that title. And by God, they gave it a run, didn't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about Lando Norris uh, a little bit more because we, we, he had such a great weekend, and it was just devastating. As are not so secret <laughs> McLaren fans um, on the Everything F One podcast, which we all are. It was just devastating to see, wasn't it? it? It was like you say. It was probably naivety from Lando Norris, a bit, a bit of just stupidity from a, such a top team like McLaren. You, you, you just wouldn't expect that sort of call to be made. You know. Uh, Mercedes were very clear to Lewis it's going to come the rain is going to come heavier you need to pit and with reluctance he did what he was told McLaren needed to take a hold of that situation and and just get him in didn't they Coops yes I think uh, Andrew Seidel came out and admitted that the decision was made a wee bit on the committee and ultimately Mm. giving Norris a bit more of a uh, decision on it but I think I mean, Norris made the decision based on what he was driving around, so that was the light shower around turn 5, 6, 7 area. He was mm-hmm. never told that there was the heavier rain 30 seconds behind. And everybody was available, every, every pit wall had the same data. So where how mm-hmm. McLaren dropped that and missed that, I don't know. But in defence of McLaren, if they were to pit, they were probably going to end up getting second, which for McLaren is not a bad situation. They went, they, they took a chance, they took a gamble so they could get the win. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that's racy, it's good. It was the wrong decision, ultimately. But, and, and you know, Norris, uh, it's going to hurt, it's going to, it's going to burn for a while, but I think he'll look back on it. I mean, he dominated the weekend, okay, for a freak situation, which was uh, something to do with, the you know that he couldn't control it was he didn't make a mistake the rain came they made a call it's a learning experience it was never it's not a bad thing it's a it's a learning experience for a team that's yes the name deserves to be there but that team has never been at the front in that position and Mercedes have just shown why they're multiple world champions when you've got a multiple world champion driving the car and the team go no get in the pits do as I tell you and you know and he has that trust he'll say it and he'll put it forward and then they'll go no no and you come and he's okay <laughs> right you know when, it, when he knows when the team become forceful there's a reason I mean he, yeah but it's, and it's, I, I want to uh, make a point that it's very very easy from second place to make that sort of call anyway isn't it when you're first it, it's, it's a much harder decision to make because you could be risking first whereas if you're second and you've got 50 seconds behind you it's it's a very easy call to make because the the least you're going to do or the most you're going to do or the worst you're going to do whichever way you would put it, it is knock yourself back towards the third place well, challenger I mean, Hamilton, Hamilton had a free choice go in get it wrong go back in still second whereas Norris exactly. didn't yeah. and that is the, that's mm. the thing but this, you know it is it's just a freak situation for the McLaren team okay Norris has part, part of me wonders that because once he once Hamilton had pitted he had like 50 seconds. Obviously, he's, he was sliding off the road. He had like 50 seconds. Could he have survived? Um, maybe he lost <clears> first place, but but still retained second place um, had he just stayed on and just gone a bit slow around the track. If it didn't get heavier, I think it was it Kroon Chanduk said during the race that if it didn't get heavier, that 30, literally at 30, the next front that was 30 seconds behind the shower, they would have survived. Even if they drop, I think it was they said that they could drop up to six seconds a lap each and still finish the race first and second. Mm. So it was the yeah. second, the second kind of sudden drop of rain that right. caused the, caused everybody. And one thing that surprised me was nobody ended up in the wall, and half of the grid went round in slicks, and none of them binned it. They went off the track and slid about a bit, but none of them binned it. We didn't have a, was it Nürburgring? A way back when Hamilton, mm. uh, 2007, but they all just went off and off and off, and there's, there's <laughs> Hamilton getting craned out still in the car and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I mean, there are 8,000 miles of runoff after every corner, so... <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean... It does uh, help, uh, it does help. I mean, in other tracks, uh, even if you did slide off, you're, you're binning it and you're losing a wheel, but, you know, it's... It's just it was just one of those races, and I, I think I tweeted it out on the Everything F1 Twitter page uh, that 
at join F one on Twitter. Yes. Well done. Uh, <laughs> that you know this season has brought us an interesting race at Paul Ricard and Sochi. How amazing is twenty twenty one when we can talk positively? Uh, I mean, me and you, Coops, last week on the on the podcast, we were like, "Yeah, it's going to be Sochi. It's going to be boring. It's going to be you know nothing, nothing to write home about." And we're here. We're talking about an exciting race at Sochi, uh, which is unprecedented. And, and, another, and, and to interrupt your flow, there, another race where Russell and the Williams gets a point, and nobody's talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's become pretty regular now. It's become pretty regular now. It's uh, yeah. What's the first? It's, it's a normal thing. Good, you don't even get good odds on George getting points anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's just like you know, it's when your five year old toddler does 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 something like, and you're like, oh, that's fun. Then he does the same thing again. You're like, yeah. And then again, you're just like, uh, I've seen that. You know, why are you drawing maybe six fingers in one hand? You know, come on, learn how to do it. Come on, Paul. You know, so you know, it gets to the point where it's a bit old. So come on, George. So well done, George, for getting a point. We we still we still appreciate as uh, you know British fans seeing you do what you can do with that. You know, getting slowly stronger car. It's a decent car. Um, let's talk. Yeah, it's it's getting it's getting much better now. Uh, it is indeed. Let's talk about uh, Red Bull then, because we can't go any further without talking about Max Verstappen's epic drive. And I'm not going to say he didn't do it without a bit of luck, because there was a lot of luck involved as well. Uh, but it, but again, he drove the wheels off it and, and got that car from 20th to second what a great kind of he saved himself didn't he well, let's go to you Tom you look like you wanted to chat about as a, as a Max Verstappen fan uh, you want to talk about Max's epic race uh, and, and great point score oh absolutely I really thought it was going to be a weekend or a sort of day of sort of a damage limitation I was thinking if he can finish the race sort of seven, six, you know, maybe if Perez moves over, um, mm-hmm. that it'll sort of be good for the championship. Never in my wildest dreams that I think he would finish the race second. Um, yeah. He definitely got a stroke of luck with how the weather turned, and given that Lando didn't pit, that did help Max. That helped Max a lot. Um, also, Max pitted, you know, he, he sort of pitted in that window where the rain went from a light tickle to an absolute monsoon, which sort of mm. seemed to happen. It, it, honestly, it, it went from like running a tap to Spa 2021 flashbacks intensify within the space of about a lap and a half. And he managed to pit just before that downpour came. And then we saw we saw how quick he was going on on the you know, on, on the inters that he changed to. Mm. I guess he didn't really have an awful lot to lose, especially when he saw that um, I can't remember who it was who pitted before him. Um, someone had pitted printers. I can't remember for the life of me who it was. Was it Stroll? I think it was Might Stroll. Have, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it was Stroll. That's a good point. And Stroll was going a heck of a lot faster on the Inter. So, for, so I think for for Max and Rebel at that point, it was an absolute no brainer. He was one of um, the uh, Verstappen was one of the first then as well. He was and it, yeah, yeah, and it was Verstappen yeah. who made the call. Yeah, they, they, and yeah. Uh, and it was it was absolutely the right call as well to to make. Um, this weekend, I was I was quite impressed with Verstappen in the sense that he didn't seem to like blow his head because do you remember in the race when they were coming? I think they were coming down the back straight, or they might be going into about two and five or something. When mm. Claire was scrapping with someone, and and whoever he was scrapping with, they got out of shape. And there was an opportunity for Max to basically sneak up the inside and try and get past. And Leclerc mm-hmm. shut the door on him quite aggressively. Oh, um, yes. Uh, might not have seen him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I twitched at that bit. Uh, yeah, because that could have easily been a puncture for Leclerc and, and, and you know, ripping Max's front wing off, all the rest of it. And I was, it, I really like Max, but I will say he is still quite hot headed. Um, no. I know, yeah, <laughs> but I, I was half expecting the, the team radios to to be Max, you know, you know, to, to screaming to JP saying, "What the hell's he doing?" Blah, blah, blah. You know, I was half expecting a lot of mm. sort of just beeps, but, expletives. Yeah, but but to be fair to Max, all, all he said was, "Is my front wing okay?" And then he was just like, "Okay, cool, let's crack on." And I, I think that says a lot about where his head is in terms of the title fight as well. I think he's shown a lot of maturity this year. We we've, we we yeah. have said this a few times on yeah. the Everything F One podcast, uh, and that's 
that's yeah I, he has had his moments uh, but you know he's, he's shown throughout the year he has a lot more maturity I think the reason why he didn't react the way the experience shouted was he kind of put the car where he had real no business to put it in uh, mm. that, was, that was slightly risky he kind of stuck it in there and then ooh uh, it was yeah it, you know, it was risky but the way Leclerc just almost sort of cut over the, you know sort of just moved like that it yeah no, it, I mean, he should have. He should have done. Do you want to finish that sentence? <laughs> I've said what I need to say. No, I mean, he, yeah. he should have. He should have pulled out an Emil. Is it Emil? In the race, in, in the last one, where he ended up over the top of Hamilton, he should have done that. Mm-hmm. He should have done the same thing as what he did in that move in Russia and pulled out. He left it in because he knew what was going to happen. Uh, but he had he had a race to run. Uh, did you see Hamilton do like a double take? When he was stepping out of the car and he saw how saw where Max Verstappen's car was, I, it, it there was, was like definitely a, yeah. there was a definitely it was like a <laughs> it was like what what that that brings me nicely kind of actually to what I wanted to say is kind of like like I said in my in my kind of sum up of the race this was damage limitation for Max um, mm. and I think I said it after the the Monza Grand Prix or something like that um, that that penalty. The Red Bull were going to take the engine penalties in Russia mm-hmm. because it's an easy enough track to overtake rain or no rain um, and they'll take the penalties completely negate the three place penalty and all is fair in the world Lewis won his race with a penalty Max will negate his penalty by taking the engine penalties he needs to take at some point yeah. anyway it's advantage Red Bull now mm-hmm. Mercedes will have to take an engine penalty for Lewis at some point their engines are Almost unbelievably fragile this year. Bottas somehow is already on his fifth. Fifth one. Yep. Um, so at, at some point, Lewis is either going to be losing an unbearable amount of power towards the end of the season, or we'll just have to suck it up and take a new engine. Um, mm. And I'm looking at where he can do that. Mexico. Maybe Mexico. Me- yeah. Mexico, if, um, Mexico is a red bull track. So. And the thing if we go to Mexico, well, not uh, if we go to Mexico, we probably will go. It's Brazil. I'm worried about, uh, and I think. Re- but that, but that, Brazil, Brazil's. But like, I'm, I'm looking at like the, the the rest of the championship here. He's not going to do it in Turkey. It's too soon, um, and that is definitely a track he can win at. But it's also one that's hard enough to overtake us. Um, mm. America, maybe might do it in America, but again, depends if we go there. There's so much questions of. Texas, Mexico, and Brazil. And that leaves Saudi Arabia, which is a total unknown, um, mm. and Abu Dhabi. And he's not going to make an engine change, change in the last race of the season. We've also no. got... No, we've Saudi, also got Saudi Arabia is not an overtaker. It's not an overtaking uh, circuit. Well, it's go. very, so, very narrow. Very, very narrow. So if they find out in the next kind of week or two that uh, Mexico or something like that's going to be cancelled, they might take it in Turkey. But like I said, this is like that second place is advantage max hugely. Um, Absolutely. And again, little bit of luck, but very much like Lewis, and this is kind of the first time we've seen it, the two of them in the same race. He put himself in the positions to get that luck. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And like you said there, he was a little bit more maybe mature in this race. Partially, I think, because at no point was he actually directly up against Lewis Hamilton. Came close. Never actually reached him. Because if it was mm. Lewis, he's not backing out of that move. And we kind of said this before. It's very much head games between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. If one backs out of a move, the one who doesn't back out has like the moral superiority of, well, you're going to back up next time, mate. I'm going to turn in tighter. They're not going to mm. concede the position to each other, but they'll concede it to Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris. They're not going to fight with someone who's not in the championship so, fight. They're not going to um, concede to each other at all. Absolutely and, not. Na- now Lewis is in the lead as well by two points. Will he- He'll be in the position where he can take off Max uh, with the risk to himself like Max did yes. you know, when he was in the lead. And it'll be very interesting to see. It'll be very interesting to see how Johnny Herbert reacts when that happens in Turkey. <laughs> I want to get away from the uh, the top two in the championship now. Because I think we've given them quite a lot of airtime. Let's talk about the third place uh, of Carlos Sainz then. Uh, as you know, ex McLaren boy, he's uh, he's done well this season. Actually, he's, he's settled into that Scuderia Ferrari and he's he's stamping his authority uh, over Charles Leclerc. Uh, definitely uh, over the last few races and he he has had a brilliant weekend uh, we'll go to you Tom we'll go to you Tom come on let, let's talk about big up Carlos Sainz no, I was really impressed with Sainz this weekend um, he had that Ferrari on pole initially um, no need to be mm. outdone by Lando oh Lando my heart 
um, <laughs> I'm still not over it. Um, and and he raced a really really good race. Now he did. He, he was on the sort of like right side of the track, if you like, because we always say that pole is not ideal in Sochi um, because you give such a slipstream, and that's exactly what we saw. Um, and I think realistically, Lando was always going to catch him with that McLaren with the sort of power advantage it's got over the Ferrari because the Ferrari has got the second weakest power unit on the grid only behind the um, the Renault unit uh, Science did really well to sort of hold on for as long as he did and mm-hmm. he made the call at the right time to pit for the wet tyres at the end because if he'd have left it later we saw the likes of I think Alonso and Perez were both in contention for a podium place but they didn't pit soon enough and that cost them a potential podium. So Sainz had quite a mature race in that sense. He kept his nose clean. He did a brilliant job in qualifying. Um, mm-hmm. And it was nice to see him on the front row with Lando. You know, obviously, they both, obviously both used to be teammates. Um, no, you know, sort of last year and the year before. He's doing really, really good things in that Ferrari. <clears throat> excuse me. And he's not sitting in Leclerc's shadow. Absolutely. If, yeah. if I'm right in thinking, I would need to double check the results for this year. Science has had more podiums than Leclerc this year. I think Leclerc just had the Correct. one which was in Silverstone, which could have been a win, but let's be fair, Hamilton was always going to hunt him down. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and arguably, you know, Leclerc missed out on a potential win in Monaco. But um, but, but Sainz, you know, three, three, three podiums on merit this year in that Ferrari, which is an okay car compared to the rest of the field you know we've got to compare that to McLaren because that's how they're battling in terms of the constructors Sainz is doing really really well and he's not he hasn't gone there to be a number two driver they, they don't have yeah. number two drivers in Ferrari away you go Rubens <laughs> Barrichello would like a word with you <laughs> that's a mess it's all a mess I'm joking, by the way. That's sarcasm. Fernando, Fernando wasn't faster than Felipe, was he? <laughs> Let's talk about Valtteri Bottas. Now, he went into the race with that engine uh, penalty. Coops. Yes. Was it a... Uh, was it a tactical move that went wrong? Uh, because he kind of just... It looked like he just let Verstappen pass anyway. That the Letting Verstappen pass was the biggest FU to Mercedes that Bottas could do. No, uh, he didn't even try. Why should he? Who cares? <laughs> it's He's still, leaving. They it, it, sacked him. They still, they still pay his bit. Uh, pay his uh, you and, know, and rent every going, every week or what whatever. Are they going to do? It's it's not in his contract to keep Max Verstappen behind him no. though at all costs. <laughs> I mean, they probably didn't spell it out to him. They maybe done the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and he went, nah, I'll, "I'll try." And then they'll say, "What happened there? Oh, he got a run on me." I mean, he was 14th for three quarters of the race and just ambling round, and then all of a sudden mm. the the um, the rain came, and then I think he ended up with the fifth or something. Yeah, the fifth. You know, yeah, uh, he lucked into that position. Oh yeah, he. I mean, he's just throwing it in for the rest of the year. Uh, the engine change, like I said Why earlier, not? exactly. The engine change. So it came across like it was tactical because I never heard it. But some people on the Twitter were in Twitter verse at Joint Airborne, uh, has said that Toto kind of hinted at it on Saturday, that it was um, that he may use Valtteri Bottas and get an engine change to fire him down the grid. Now, everyone went on about how this is really bad for Mercedes. Now, it's not the first time that any team's done this. I'm sure Red Bull broke the seal on one of their driver's gearboxes to move him down the grid to cover somebody off. I'm sure Ferrari have done it. I'd need to double-check when. It's something that's done. And it's gamesmanship. It's, ta- it's, it's, it's just yeah, part, it's of, part of the course. But at the moment, it's in, it's it's flavour of the month to to highlight Mercedes. Oh, bad. But when some other team do it, they don't really mention it. So yeah. Um, let's talk about Danny Rick then, because it Danny. it didn't it well it did look like uh, it it could have been just a fluke last week, but actually you know fourth. Great result for him. Uh, showed his maturity uh, by coming into the uh, into the pits to get those uh, inters on straight away. Uh, a lap late, he said, even himself. But he used his experience that he knew that that was a, something that needed to happen. But he had a great race. He came fourth, um, uh, and it just shows that he has now got a hold of that car. 
We'll go to Tom. Add something else about Danny Rick. From Danny Rick this weekend, it was very much the drive of someone who has had previous experience of winning races in perhaps less than favourable conditions. Um, I know it's not exactly apples to apples, but remember Monaco 2018 when he was losing, I think, ERS or one of the energy systems, but he was losing about 140 horsepower because he wasn't because the system wasn't charging or something. Um, he uh, he really sort of much like you said Taylor, he made the call to come in um, because he could see how wet the track was getting and it's easy for people like us to be sitting at home on our sofas with with a cup of tea and and a couple of chalky bickies watching it and saying (laughs) oh here here comes the rain they're going to need to pit and I at the time I was very much when London didn't pit I was like oh McLaren why didn't you bring him in why Um, but the drivers can obviously see all the track, but they relate to their engineer, and I think that shows a lot of experience with Danny Rick because he's an experienced driver. You know, he's been on the grid ten years now this year, and he's he started he started his two hundredth race a few races ago. I can't remember which race it was, um, and he has had some sensational wins as well. Um, he really got what McLaren needed out of him this weekend. I don't know if I phrase that very well, but. In terms of like- he did what he was there to do and he and he did well for himself okay well what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go to each one of you you can select one driver each um, and we'll talk about them because I don't think we need to speak about every single person like the Haas for example they turned up for the weekend uh, as they do <laughs> as they do they were there congratulations uh, so we'll go to each of you I'll go to Sean first because I think he's got someone in mind Sean who would you like to speak about um, I'm going to give a shout out to Fernando Alonso um, I think mm-hmm. like the other Spaniard on the grid even though he's obviously the big name he's very much flying under the radar at the moment I think he's scored in seven of the last eight races or something like that mm-hmm. um, yeah. he is in extremely good form obviously Ocon had that win um, which kind of took all the plaudits and all the headlines for Alpine and probably will do for this season um, but it's it's Alonso taking home the points for him for them like he qualified sixth and finished sixth um, mm. Which for an Alpine, which is by no means the sixth fastest car on the grid, um, you know, he was ahead of uh, Bottas, he was ahead of the the, the Alpines, he was ahead of Stroll, he was ahead of his teammate, he was ahead of the Astons, he was ahead of the 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 Alphas, he was ahead of Clark, he was ahead of a lot of faster cars. Um, I think he's getting very comfortable with that car um, mm-hmm. and knows where the absolute limit of it. He himself seemed very happy with his results. Um, this weekend um, he seemed very happy with six again I think um, he showed the maturity of someone exactly like uh, was it Tom who said that um, the maturity of someone who knows how to win I think Tom you said that about Ricardo there um, he knew when to when to pit he knew when to put the rain the, 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 the wet tires on but also like he said himself you know I think he said on the radio, rain is such a gamble. It's so hard to know. We all get lost in this. Um, and I, I think at one point, was it himself, Vettel and uh, Leclerc or something like that? They over The, the three of them overtook each, other, overtook each other like seven or eight times in one lap because every single corner, diff- again, we didn't see this on TV. We saw this afterwards. Um, yeah. But they just kept <laughs> overtaking each other because it was just a matter of who was lucky enough to make each corner before they could put the slicks on. Uh, before they put the wets on, and Fernando came out ahead of that. Um, he came out miles ahead of all of them, actually. Um, and finished sixth. I think he's doing a really good job. I think that Alpine is not a good car this year, which is a bit of a shame. Um, mm. I think the win takes a lot of pressure off them, even just in terms of like the the, the championship, like their, their their point standings. It, it just takes that little bit of extra pressure off them. So I think he's doing a good job. Not that Esteban Ocon's not, although he didn't finish in the points. He finished off. 14th a lap down but um, you know Alpine are 5th at the moment 20 odd points ahead of and uh, 19 points ahead of AlphaTauri it's a good place for them to be Okay, watch, watch out for next year watch out Tom who do you want to speak about Dazzly and to, to a larger part AlphaTauri this weekend Dazzly has been one of my drivers of the season because he's had I think more 6th place finishes both in qualifying in the race and possibly any, any other driver on the grid um and I'm sure I've said on the pod before that it seems to be tradition that 
Pierre is six and his teammate is 16th or seventh <laughs> and 70. There always seems to be like a 10 place gap between them. Um, mm. So when Snoodic finishes 10th, we all know what's going to happen then. Um, you know, fingers crossed, Monster 2020 happens again. But um, I was. <laughs> I really thought Gassi was going to get some good points this weekend because he looked quite strong in qualifying, but he just it just didn't quite happen for Alpha Tari this weekend. I don't know if it was because they couldn't quite get it hooked up in qualifying, which they well obviously couldn't um, because they both went out in Q two and Gassi was twelfth and couldn't really seem to get going any quicker. He did complain of traffic, but I think that was clutching the straws a bit because it didn't really cost him that much time. Um, but he he was running fifth at one point, but then just Alvatari sort of almost hung him out to dry a bit on, on his strategy. And he was driving around on absolutely dead tires. Um and then he just it just didn't it just didn't happen for him this weekend because he's been on such a streak of point scoring. He's had so many good results this year. You know, a few times he finished like fourth and fifth in in that car that has realistically no business being there. Um Yes, you are right. Coops, who do you want to speak about? Uh, well, I mean, it's, there's not really much to say. Kimi Raikkonen tested positive for COVID, was up for two races, comes to Russia, gets eighth place. Didn't really see him. Got to the end of the got got, got to the end of the race, and there he is in eighth. You're like, oh, all right, all right, cool. He's away home having a chalk ice. We back to the kids. <laughs> nothing, nothing better you can say. You know, he gets a couple of points in there, gets ahead of the hash team. And uh, ahead of uh, Williams, I don't know if they're ahead, but you know, gets a good points in that week in a group. Uh, quite like it's on with it. I will touch on as we're talking about the Alfa Romeo uh, Giovinazzi. Now, poor Giovinazzi, he's he's he was in an opportunity to get himself some points because it was such a circus and a lottery. However, he didn't because mm. his radio didn't work for the whole race. Now. And any race of the calendar where you really need a radio to be working was Russia. And poor Giovinazzi's mm. radio, so they couldn't call him in at the right time. It was just a bit of a cluster for him. So, bit of a shame there. But, you know what? Fabulous for Kimmy. Done well. Uh, no one else mentioned, quick mention to Aston Martin. They hit each other again. Uh, ah, yes. That was uh, shocking, that wasn't was it? a very good point. That was a, that was a silly one. Uh, to be fair, I don't think Stroll was really looking at it. Paul DeResta touched on it during the break, the, kind of, the debrief in Sky Sports. He's light, he, mm. his, his eye line was, was heading towards the apex in the corner on the right side of the car, so he swings the car out, doesn't yeah. realise Vettel's there. I think he got a 10-second penalty for it, uh, which I think was a bit harsh. Uh, both Aston Martins didn't get any kind of points this weekend, kind of a poor one. Uh, but yeah, the Aston Martin team are fast becoming a slightly more sombre version of Perez and Ocon and the old version of Aston Martin where they any time they're on the same track they hit each other <laughs> which is not good certainly not good for Vettel where it's the son of the owner of the team that keeps hitting him <laughs> I mean where did you go uh, bit of a shame there for them too which wasn't a good race for them uh, but that seems to be the story of their season they have kind of wee flashes and then they're just back to kind of mediocrity yes it was a a weekend to forget for the Aston Martin team Um, but there's not really many other people we can chat about there's nothing no other great performances to to kind of pinpoint Um, but overall I think it's fair to say uh, as a whole we enjoyed the race Uh, we'll just talk quickly about the news there hasn't been much uh, to talk about much to write home about um, but the Haas lineup has been confirmed for 2022 and yeah. it's none other than the two that we have got in the team already Mazepin has got the seat shock horror and so has Mick Schumacher were you surprised at that Coops? Yes. no I'm not but I mean no, no. Mazepin's funding the team Schumacher still really hasn't shown the deserves of a race in a bigger car other than the fact he's Michael Schumacher's son uh, controversial it may be he's still not shown and I mean this is from a driver in his junior years never qualified in front two rows of any race uh, I know he won the F2 championship but maybe that shows his race car but he's still he's not one of those drivers you see come up and go oh he's amazing yeah he's 
Can he do that in the house though? Doesn't matter. You would you would you wouldn't have said that about Daniel Ricardo in a HRT. Yes. He's got a chance at a bigger team. No, but the thing about it is like like George Russell dragged that Williams car around for three three seasons and in the first season you were like, he's a racer. Even in that car was a dog, you knew that there was something about George Russell. You don't see that with Mick Schumer. You just don't. Don't see that with Mizzet. You don't see that with Stroll, you don't see that with Sonoda, you don't see that with a few of them. There's there's that extra spark for the drivers you know are gonna get it. Schumacher doesn't have that. He just doesn't. Mm. And, uh, and I mean, yes, okay, it's his first year. He could come out next year and blitz it. And I'll put, will hold my hands up. But Hamilton in these junior, junior years, you knew there was something going on there. You know, same with uh, Verstappen and stuff like that. You just knew. But even with F2, um, I think Mick took a season to kind of acclimatize to the, to the, uh, to the cars. It, that's just well. his style. And in F3, F3, yeah, well. so yeah. That's, maybe maybe next year he'll make yeah, but the even when, he, pass. even when he did get to grips with it, he still didn't qualify in the front two rows. He didn't set it alight. It doesn't matter. He did He, he, he still won the championship. Even, even, <laughs> even in the championship where they get points on sat, on for, for qualifying, it didn't matter. He still won the championship. Uh, it may, it doesn't. Yeah. the best racer. Yeah, well, you know, maybe not, but... You know, he doesn't have for me. He doesn't. He doesn't have the spark. He doesn't have that thing where you're like, ooh, and the, the lower thing that he just doesn't. So I don't see it. If you're talking about that spark, you know, the other kind of I suppose only bit of news that isn't news yet is the other Alpha C. Good segue, Sean Welter. Yes, <laughs> I, 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 I had said kind of all year that it has to go to Callum Eilat. He's sitting there on the bed, but then the actual bit of news in this week, he's going to IndyCar. Yes. No seat for him but in the no Alpha. In Alpha, yeah. So that means either Giovinazzi is staying or they're holding out for whoever's going to win F2 this season, which will be either Piastri or Porcher. Uh, and if you're talking about Spark... Isn't it Juan Yuzhou as well? Yes. Wasn't there, there, were, there were rumours about Juan Yuzhou and not Juan being Yuzhou able to get the contract? He is a Renault driver. The other two are Ferrari drivers. They don't have that link to the Ferrari seat anymore. No. That's not part of it. If you're talking about Spark, Oscar Piastri yeah. is a star. He has to be in Formula One. He comes straight from winning Formula Three in his rookie season. He's managed by Mark Webber. Mm-hmm. And he's come straight into Formula Two. He hasn't done the Schumacher's thing of waiting a season. He's gone straight mm-hmm. in. He's leading the championship. He's beating Porsche, who's another year of experience over him. He's beating Joe, who's been there since he was a Jew, since he was a child. Yeah. He's been in that series for so long. On that alone, I don't think he deserves a Formula One drive. Um, I has to be Oscar Piastri. I think he's a. If you talk about that spark, yes. he's a very special, very very talented young he's man. He's Australian, he isn't he? Well deserves a, yeah. yeah, Australian. Yeah, managed by Mark Webber. I think he definitely deserves that form that that final seat. If 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 you like, if you're talking that spark and who deserves it, who actually mm-hmm. light the world up, like someone like Charles Leclerc will come into that alpha seat and perform in it immediately. Um, Leclerc did it in 2018 um, when it was Sauber he came straight in performed immediately I think Oscar Piastri would be very much like yeah, that and he's going to win the championship for Primo like Leclerc did and like Schumacher did I think that's pretty much all we need to talk about then there's not much news to kind of to, to, to tell you about because just nothing has dropped yet uh, it's still early in the week uh, we've still got two weeks well a week and a half now uh, before our next race in Turkey we'll be previewing that next week uh, so by all means tune in for our next podcast uh, the Turkish preview what we have got for you is a great interview that I sat down with James Hunt's son Freddie Hunt and it's a great interview and I hope you enjoy it you can listen to that now so first and foremost hello Freddie how are you I'm very well thanks how are you Yes, I'm brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, for any fans of uh, our podcast that might not know who you are, um, would you please kind of give a brief introduction about who you are uh, yourself? Yeah, sure. I am, well, my name is Freddie Hunt. I am relevantly the son of the 1976 Formula One world champion, James Hunt, who mm-hmm. formed McLaren, well, among other teams, Heskett and Wolf as well, but won the championship with McLaren in 76. Excellent. Yeah, uh, we, we will go into that uh, as we go into the questions, um, because we cannot go uh, too far without talking about your father, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for you. Um, but so you were at Monza for the weekend uh, of the race 
uh, in an official position. But before we delve into that, what was your what was the atmosphere like there, uh, and how was it seeing your father's old team, McLaren, scoring a one-two? Well, it, it was a fantastic weekend. It's my first time at Monza for a Grand Prix. Uh, the Tifosi were out in force, but with a uh, it was a very very kind kind atmosphere, which is really nice. And obviously had a, had a great result for, for me being a being a McLaren fan because of obviously my father driving this effectively my my home team as it were. Uh, they got a one-two, which I was absolutely delighted for. Really, you know, I've been I've been wanting them to get to get there this year. Well, for several years, obviously, but uh, they've been so close this year, and they've all, they've all been working so hard uh, for them to get that one-two result was just fantastic. It was, uh, and and our unofficial tagline uh, for all of our podcast listeners probably know this. We are. Uh, probably not very secret McLaren fans ourselves. I, I think it's very difficult not to be uh, a McLaren fan, really, with all the you know the history that they've got and and, and whatnot. Oh, I'm glad. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great to see. Um, so, okay, tell us about your official position uh, with F1 fragrances then, and, and what, what your personal favourite of that of their fragrances uh, that you like. Well, yeah, they, I mean F1 fragrances. They decided to launch the F1 fragrance race collection. Mm-hmm. And and that's when they, when they got in touch with me to be their be their ambassador to help them launch. We launched the the, the race collection at Silverstone British Grand Prix earlier on this year, uh-huh. um, and then I went out to Monza as well to help there with the promotion and stuff. But I mean, it's a really interesting collection. The the way the way, the way they've done it, it's all based around uh, you know around Formula One. They try to make the, the bottles look like full Formula One design with the aerodynamics of the car. And yeah. the scents are really great. I mean, my favourite is, is well, certainly was Carbon Rain. It still is, but uh, Precious Metal has grown on me, and that one's up there as well. Neon White, too. But to be honest, they're all growing on me, really. To begin with, it was more or less just Carbon Rain that I like, but now now I like them all. Uh, okay. I gave I gave a bottle of Turn 1 to my brother the other day, and he really liked it as well. Wow. Uh, I've seen the bottles, and they do look very, you know, it's very sporty, very F1-esque. So uh, they're definitely probably worth a try. Um, I'm, so you'd say I should go for the which one was that, which one was your favourite? Sorry, well, carbon rain and precious metal would be the, be my two. But obviously, you know, smell them all and see see what you like. If you're if you're just buying online without smelling it, then I'd suggest one of those two: carbon rain or precious metal. But uh, if you've got the chance to to, to to sample them all, then then do because uh, it's you know to uh, to eat everyone's individual taste, really, isn't it? I'll probably have to go for carbon rain. Sounds good. Sounds sounds like a great name. Um, Okay, well, we'll move on then. So, what was it like um, growing up, the son of an F1 legend? Uh, did you kind of feel the pressure to follow in your dad's footsteps, or, or did the desire to join motorsport come at a later time in life? No, it was, I mean, growing up, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about motorsport. The last race I went to um, before Dad died was was well, when, before he died was one of the Grand Prix, and then I grew up, you know, on horses with my mother in the countryside, not knowing anything about about the sport. I was aware that my father was, you know, I knew he was a world champion. I knew he was pretty special, but I didn't quite realise the, the gravity of it until I started motorsport myself. And that was mm-hmm. just by a sort of uh, freak chancing fate, if you like. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, when I was 18 and, and, and that's when, when I, I left horses to start motorsport. But you were a great polo player, weren't you? And you, and you, 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 you've actually, have you, you've won some awards yourself on, uh, in that. Is that right? Uh, I don't know about awards. We won a few tournaments. Tournaments, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We won a few tournaments. So yeah, I, I played polo from the age of well, I started when I was thirteen, swinging a stick, and when I was I started playing, you know, professional matches at the age of fifteen, and I did that for three, for three years until uh, in, until I met motorsport, and then decided decided that was more more me. Com- complete career change. I know, I know, from from one horsepower to several hundred horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, do you still manage to get any games of polo in yourself? Not matches. I play the old practice game with friends when I'm invited. Um, I, I love to do it, um, and I'd like to do it more. But the problem is, you know, it is the cost of horses. If I could, if I had the, the the money and the time to keep keep horses myself, I would do it as a hobby. But it's a very expensive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I could. You have to be members of very elite clubs and stuff, don't you, for uh, for that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you've you've spent a lot of your life in nature and away from the spotlight. Then, so what were you do? What was you doing with your time away uh, from motorsport? Um, well, a lot of the time I spent living in Argentina. I first went out to Argentina for polo when I was fifteen, 
and just fell in love with the place really this i mean you've got everything there from you know mountains jungle all the terrain is incredible the argentines are wonderful people food and mm. and and the culture there i, I really like so I, I went to spend a lot of time out there and yeah i mean i worked for uh did some work for conservation land trust um mm. so yeah in, in my in my spare time what, what i normally do is uh well, I'm getting less and less of it now. Um, I, I like to just go off into the wilderness, sort of on my own, and and uh, and go exploring really, and and you know, working for, for working for charities if I can, if you can, if I can get volunteer work. You've been all all around the world, kind of doing that as well. I mean, it's not just Argentina. You, you've done several other places. Yeah, Africa, I've done as well. Um, I worked for did some volunteer work for an anti-poaching unit in Zimbabwe. When was that? I think that was 2013, and that was um very interesting exciting experience just clearing clearing snares and stuff like that and the amount well it's well we don't want to go into it now but yeah what what, what the illegal traffic wildlife trafficking is doing to to the ecosystem is and to, to the nature is is awful well it's nice to see that you've got that sort of conscience though and uh you know obviously it's a, a big drive for you to to be kind of conservationist as it were yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been my passion since since I was a child. I, I, I can't see how it isn't everyone's passion, really. I mean, there's, there's nothing more beautiful than nature, and and the, the reality is we very much depend on it to survive. You know, nature doesn't need us, but we need it. Um, so yeah, I've always been you know, trying to do what I can to help it. That's good. As you say, it, it, absolutely everybody should be that, with that mindset, really. Um, well, well, let's move uh, back to the to the kind of the motorsport world then. Um, you've raced in obviously many different categories. Which, which has been your favourite category to race in? Uh, and are there any plans to move into any other categories in the future? Probably the most sort of thrilling, some of the most exciting race I've done is Formula Ford because of the lack of the absence of aerodynamics. You can have several cars right nose to tail through fast corners, so that's very exciting. Uh, yeah, lots of overtaking, lots of strips. Loops. Uh, slip streaming you don't want to necessarily be in the lead on the last lap because <laughs> you might not be there at the end of the last lap <laughs> <laughs> um but in in recent years the lmp3 the endurance stuff that's what i've been really really enjoying i love the prototype cars to drive and, and yeah. that's my goal for the future is to race in Le Mans. so it's it, it, it's good that i like the cars <laughs> yes it is uh, and, and so you say the, the goal is to be to, to, to do a full Le Mans. Have, have you got a team uh, organised for that, or, or, or some teammates that you'd like to drive along? I with? do. Have, I do have one teammate that I like to do it with. Um, we, we don't know of the team yet. So Le Mans is a little bit further down the road. The next step would be for to do the European Le Mans series next season. So that's what I'm. Right. That's what I'm working on at the moment. Just sort of going through, you know, discussing with teams and uh, and and seeing what the right brands to work with really. Um, do you have any career highlights from your own time in motorsport then? Career highlights? My first win, I suppose, was well, was a bit of a highlight back in 2008. Uh, it was a, it was a, wasn't a prestigious race or anything. It was a Ginetta G20. I mean, right. It was called up on the Friday night, at, you know, at the last minute, so can, can you come and drive this weekend? So I said, yeah, I'd love to. And I, and I only got one lap in, in practice because of red flags. And then qualifying, I think I only got one lap in as well because of red flags. It was, so, it was, it was, a, it was very, very wet, sort of rivers coming across the track. But I managed mm. to get pole position. And then I was leading the first race, but my throttle cable snapped. Um, in the dry, this was as well. So I dropped a few places. And then, because I hadn't driven the car in the dry before, so I had to be a little bit careful. <laughs> and then I managed to get the lead back and my throttle cable snapped. And the second race, because I didn't finish, I started from the back of the grid and just drove well, like a bat out of hell and, and, and took the lead on the last lap. And I, I wasn't really expecting it. And it was just, it was very rewarding. So that was probably the most sort of, it was unexpected. We we did win the, won the 24 hours of Kosher in a, um, I think it was 2016, I think, or 17, 2017 it was, um, in a Porsche Cayman. And that was exciting as well. I mean, that was very wow. rewarding. It's a 24 hour race, my first one. Um, and But for the last few hours, we were comfortably in the lead. So it was, um, it was just sort of, very much nursing the car home to the end. And what's it like driving in a 24-hour race then? Is it uh, is it a real test of endurance, like they say it is? It is. It's very tiring, yeah. Um, and that was in a, in, a, in a GT4, so it wasn't in a heavy, you know, a particularly physically demanding car by comparison. But it was mm. still, when you're driving for, for for that length of time, um, you know, your your mental mental focus is 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 the uh, is the tricky part. So just trying to trying to get into a good rhythm without over without asking too much of your of your mind, if you know what I mean, but you've got to keep an eye out for cars coming past you and slower cars on track, so there's a lot going on. 
Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it, something that's probably you know something everyone wants to try at least once in their life. Uh, it's probably further down the line for me, uh, somewhere in the future. Um, so, what what plans have you got for uh, any motor racing for the rest of the year? Uh, motor racing for the rest of the year. So the next race I've got is is part of a filming for a documentary we're doing called The Sons of Speed. It's about Matthias Lauder and myself. Wow. So Matthias and I, you may, may, may not know, we raced together in the or in the MRF Challenge back in 2014. And we did the NASCAR as well together, although we weren't in the same category then. But anyway, so we the film was, was the filming was started back then. Um, and uh, it was, for whatever reason, it's been a while. So we're finishing off the documentary this year uh, in the Revolution Cars. And that is the races in a few weeks. And then I do have another race at the end of uh, the end of October, I think, last weekend of October, at Silverstone in the Nissan Skyline GTR again for Rickwood Motorsport. Oh wow! So you, you've got a busy year ahead, really. Yeah, well, just a couple more couple more races that, that are planned <laughs> at the moment, uh, and then like I said, for next year, we're yeah, focusing on the you know, the European Le Mans series. Can I just ask you about the the Hunt and Louder name together again? Is that is that is, is there a pressure to perform, uh, you know, to, to the to the kind of great lengths that your father and obviously Nicky Lauda performed? Well, obviously not the same length that they that they, that they went to the pressure, uh, but of <laughs> course there is. You know, we both still really want to beat each other, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and he did beat me in the last in the in, in round one. So Ooh. round two, hopefully, uh, yeah, I, I really I want to win this this win this one. Yeah, if, yeah, you've got you've got to do it. You've got to do it for you. For you. For the, for the namesake, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how do you always? How do you find kind of always being compared to your father? Do you think it's kind of an honour, or, or do, do you think it's a bit of a curse? Has it kind of made it a bit harder for you to be um, kind of go through unnoticed? I guess is what I'm trying to get get at. Well, yeah, I think that's that's uh, you know people often ask is it, you know is it help or a hindrance having my father's you know, carrying carrying the name that I do. Yeah. And, you know, the help is obviously opening doors, you know, with teams and sponsors, et cetera. But the hindrance is the, the pressure that comes with it and the, the amount of people watching and, and the expectations that come with it. You know, when I, when I first started driving, I was quick in testing, quicker than, you know, most people for that with, with no experience whatsoever. Mm. And, you know, word soon got out. So I, and I, I knew that people knew that I was quick. So I put a lot more pressure on myself to deliver in races and stuff. So, yeah, it has... It has been it been tricky. Certainly at the beginning, it's it's easier now, but it was it was tricky to begin with. And has it made you feel a bit closer to to, to your dad and, and obviously following his footsteps? Do you kind of understand him a bit more? Um, I suppose so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I really like the term following his footsteps because you know I'm not I'm not going to Formula One and it, you know endurance racing is a very different ball game altogether. I mean, it's still mm. racing cars, but that's about the only similarity. Uh, but. How do I make me feel close to him? I suppose it does because I, I meet lots of people who knew my father. Perhaps I wouldn't meet them if I was, wasn't racing. And, you know, I hear lots, yeah. of, lots of interesting stories which were never in the media. I, I would never hear otherwise. So that side is really nice. And, and it, again, going on, on, on with, with stuff that you've done uh, in your dad's name, you've, you've put, set up the James Hunt Foundation with your, your brother. Was that done in 2015? Yeah, so we started in 2015. The main sort of spur was 2016 was obviously the 40th anniversary of his World Championship. So we wanted to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, we, so we started the um, James Hunt Foundation and, and we, we collaborated with a few brands. We, we did a big um, uh, celebration at the Festival of Speed. Uh, mm -hmm. Collaborate with Tag Heuer, for example, as well, and Bell Stuff. And the next one, obviously, will, well, the next big one will be the 50th anniversary. We will look to do the same again, and um, and we we plan, we intend to team up with a with a charity so we can give back as well. Wow. Okay. So, what kind of charity would you are you thinking about joining with, with that? <sighs> That's a tough one because there's so many good causes <laughs> out there. That's the problem. Well, how do you choose one? So, no, we. I mean, I, I, I wildlife is is it would be my number one choice, but. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of other um, competition of... with your brother to choose, is there? Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move forward then to kind of the current state of F1 uh, and the current championship that we're, we're watching. What's your opinions on the on the current F1 season this year? We, we've we've had a, a good one so far, haven't we? Yeah, it's been yeah the best I can remember since watching most sport and some you know, in my adult life. Uh, really close racing. Really, you know, there's a lot of tension, a lot of a, a sort of passion and a, a, a 
I like to say aggression, but they're not being aggressive towards one another, they're just being sportive, sportingly aggressive towards one another, which, which, which is great. And uh, lots lots of drama. And, you know, I mean, the points, has, I don't know, there's a handful of points in it now, and we're halfway through the season, so it could be anyone's championship, really, and that's what I love about it, we just don't know. Okay, if you had a bookmaker in front of you in five pounds, we ask every one of our guests on. I'm putting you on the spot, on the spot, but we do ask every single person this one. Um, if you had five pounds to put on either Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, who would you choose as the uh, as your as your option? Well, I'll make the choice not because I believe one or the other will win, but I'll, I'll choose Max purely because he's more the underdog, you know. Right. Okay. Um, but and not that I don't I don't want Lewis to win. I do want Lewis to to, to win and break that all time time record. But you know, I think well. I just got a feeling Max might, Max probably could do it. So my money would have to go on Max, I think. The Red Bull car does look a bit stronger, doesn't it, this year? I'm not sure, really, because um, they've been so close. They've been so close. Mm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. I, I, you know, I've heard whispers that um, I'm sure you have, but they've heard heard discussions when we watched watched the Formula One that Mercedes are more focusing on their car for next year, and so maybe Red Bull might push more for their development of the car this year and so that might play a big part I don't, I don't really know yeah I think they'll be throwing everything at it personally oh, we're, we're so close we can't lose it at this point yeah exactly exactly <laughs> close they've been in quite a while so yeah another question that we ask all of our guests that come onto the podcast um, which race that's not within the UK because we've got a lot mostly UK listeners um, but obviously there are some elsewhere around the world as well but for any of our UK listeners that maybe only go to Silverstone what race would you say that's not within the UK that our fans should go and watch. That's to include, that could be any race that you've ever been to, uh, any race that, you, that you're thinking about going to yourself or, or any kind of holiday destination as well, so that to enjoy the whole experience of uh, the week away. I'd say the two sort of local ones, as it were, that I have been to would be Monza and Monaco. Obviously, Monaco speaks for itself. I mean, if you yeah. remember Monaco in there. Um, I mean, the whole Grand Prix weekend is just—it's just bonkers. It really is. It's—it's it's so much fun, and the atmosphere and everyone's just—you know—got their got their party face on. And everyone's just having a great time, and yeah, it's—it's it's wonderful. And, and obviously, Monaco, Monaco street racing, yeah. um, Monza Grand Prix. If it's you know, because Italy's just got so, there's so much heritage there, and you know, you're just the Monza town itself is this lovely, quiet little town with wonderful food. Um, and you know Milan is right there as well. So the, the sort of the, all the the, um, the fashion interest. If you're interested in fashion, then that's you know which so many people are these days. That's probably the number one place to go for that. A um, bit further afield, races I haven't been to the Mexican Mexican Grand Prix. I really like to go to the, the track. Looks, the track looks fantastic, and uh, and I love to go to Mexico. <laughs> I love Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been there. Yet. I, really, I really like to go to that one. But I must say, outside of Formula One. Um, uh, a key motorsport fan must put Le Mans on their bucket list. The 24 hours of Le Mans, so you can get a lot closer to the action, and you know yeah. than you can in Formula One. And it's a 24 hour weekend. It's a, it's a, it's a. The atmosphere is very different to any Grand Prix I've been to. So if, if you haven't been to, to the 24 hours of Le Mans, I suggest you go to that one. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds sounds great. I I always kind of keep an eye on the results of Le Mans. I don't kind of watch it myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, to watch. <laughs> yeah it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to watch, I think, because yeah. everyone's in different phases of the race. So, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly something to, to, to bear in mind for our fans uh, to head and go and see that themselves. Mm. Um, we had uh, some late news that you're actually going to appear in uh, three episodes of Car and Country this year. Um, can, you can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so this is rather exciting. I, I, I was put in touch with them uh, earlier on this, this year. Or was it no? It's sort of an end of last year, and so we're, yeah, car and country. It's a it's a sort of tourism and food show, really. Um, but we're going to be doing one one shoot in in Scotland, in in the hills of Scotland this year, and then we'll move over to to India to, in in this Kerala, I believe, in the south of India to do two more shoot two episodes over there. Wow. Yeah, very exciting. So stay tuned. I believe it'll be on Amazon. So yeah, if anyone wants to uh, watch that, keep an eye out for it. Do you know what cars you're going to be driving when you're when you're doing that? Or... Oh yeah, that's the exciting part. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so that will be the surprise. Yeah, ju 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 judging by the uh, by the previous episodes, there should be nice cars. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I, I, I'll I'll have to watch that and have to find it. You said you'll be on Prime, Amazon Prime. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone, keep an eye out for Freddie Hunt on Amazon Prime uh, in Car and Country. Uh, that's great news. Would you like to? Uh, 
promote your F1 fragrances once more, Freddie? Where can people find those? Well, in the UK, um, they can be found in the perfume shop. And outside of the UK, they can be found at, found at f1fragrances.com online. Excellent. Well, all that's left for me today. Thank you very much for coming to join me today on the uh, Everything F1 podcast. Um, it's been really great having you as a guest. No, thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too. Maybe in the future, we could get you on for a, a race review or a re- race preview and you can kind of give us your opinion on how a weekend went. Yeah, yeah, I'll be up for that. Definitely. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And we'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. We'll stay in contact. Lovely. Cheers, James. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for my chaps uh, joining me today. We had Sean, Coops and Tom. Thank you very much, chaps. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We are Everything F1 and you can find us on all the social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. We've also got a Discord server and you can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. Thank you very much and we'll speak to you next week about the Turkish Grand Prix. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.